If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 640. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Give me that email address while you're there. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. You already heard about that. I've got a new class coming out. If you're listening to this uh, the week of May 25th, it's coming out. Make sure you get that class. Uh, It's on John C. Calhoun, and you're going to want it. But I also have many other classes there available for purchase. So head over there, pick up a class or 20, and you can support the show. Also, you can click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. If you're watching this on YouTube, click on that super thanks, that little heart underneath the video. You can support the show that way. You can click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Send me those show requests. I do appreciate that. Lots of great ways to support the show. But I want to talk about something that's not a listener-generated episode. I was going to focus on uh, Ron DeSantis's Hamiltonianism. I'll do that next week. That was a listener-generated request. But I want to talk about Nicole Hannah-Jones, and I want to talk about a series of tweets that uh, conservatives got very upset about, and some libertarians. You see, Nicole Hannah-Jones, of course, if you don't know who she is, you should. She is the founder and editor of the 1619 Project. And the 1619 Project has come under a lot of fire from conservatives. In fact, it produced the 1776 Commission Report during the Trump administration, along with other things like the 1620 Project and the 1776 Project. And uh, ultimately, the Abbeville Institute is is producing something called the 1607 Project, but we're not calling it that. That's the core basis of it, but we'll call it Virginia first. And we're going to talk about American founding and American ideals and American, the American tradition, the Southern tradition. It's going to be a great uh, exercise in scholarship. And it is kind of a counterweight to the 1619 Project, but it's also a counterweight to the 1620 Project and other things that have gone on because the Institute wants to place Virginia at the center of the American experience, not the way Nicole Hannah-Jones does, but in a different way. So this has been a, a, you know, a, a groundbreaking report. I mean, you can't get around that. People have reacted to it. People have talked about it. It's done its job. Now, of course, Hannah Jones believes that the United States was founded in 1619, and they said that, and of course, they've scrubbed that from the website. But that was the original point of the report, because they said there that uh, the United States was founded when slavery was, of course, African slavery was brought to America, ignoring the fact that slavery was already here before that, uh, ignoring the fact that uh, there were uh, complexity to the institution, and those first Africans were probably indentured servants. I mean, there's a whole lot of problems historically with the 1619 Project. One of them, of course, is the influence of slavery on capitalism. Most slave owners were anti-capitalist. I mean, you, you can't get around this. They talked about it. 
So there's a lot going on there. Um, but she is correct on some things. And I've said this before. In fact, I've said that Nicole Hannah-Jones and the Straussian neoconservatives are actually on the same page. They're two sides of the same coin because both believe in the proposition nation. And what do I mean by that? Both believe that the United States was founded on the proposition that all men are created equal. Now, Jones may not seem like that because she's saying, no, wait, the United States was founded in 1619 with slavery. But what she has done is taken this proposition nation myth and stuck it back in the face of the Straussians, the neoconservatives, because she says, look, her, and, and if you read her first essay, she talks about this with her father, who loved to fly the U.S. flag, who was very pro-America, and she said, how can you be that? And his position was essentially that, well, I mean, it's based on the proposition that all men are created equal. And so her point is, well, okay, if that's true, if that's true, which conservatives say it is, which people on the left say it is, I mean, this is what Joe Biden runs around saying, if that's true, then America has betrayed that position for centuries, right? A couple centuries. It's betrayed that position because you don't really believe it. The United States, if it's founded on the proposition that all men are created equal, and by her definition of equality, then we have betrayed that position. And so she believes the proposition nation. She believes this is true. And she says black Americans have held on to that position longer and better than any other group of Americans. This is what led me to write the essay for Chronicles, which got Michael Anton all up in a tizzy fit uh, over it. And I said, look, if this is the case, if, if we're going to believe in the proposition nation, if the Straussians and the neocons are going to go out and push this agenda, then they've already lost because it's going to lead to things like Nicole Hannah-Jones and her essay, and the 1619 Project. It's the natural outgrowth of that. In fact, the entire uh, abolitionist movement, at least the more radical abolitionist movement of the 1850s, was based on the belief that the Declaration is the founding document. Lincoln had said as much in the Gettysburg Address. I mean, it was the document that defined America. This was the basis of all of that. And those abolitionists, by the way, were not conservatives in any way whatsoever. Nobody recognized them as that in the 1830s, 40s, 50s. They didn't recognize them, that, recognize them as conservatives at all. These were the radical leftists. And so when Lincoln talks about the Gettysburg Address or some of the other things, and of course, when you look at people like uh, Frederick Douglass, who is saying the Constitution is an anti-slavery document, um, this is this is where you get some of that stuff, right? I mean, so Lysander Spooner, not, not in the way that Douglas does, but Douglas had read Spooner and thought that, um, that he was correct on this position. But you have a lot of people who would say in the antebellum period that the United States was founded on anti-slavery rather than slavery, but they're all leftists, right? These are all people of the left. None of them are conservatives. And so the proposition nation has always been a distortion, I've said, of the original founding position, which was decentralization, federalism. That's what America was founded on. This dominion theory where the king had exclusive control of the colonies and the colonies were independent. Uh, and then, of course, later independent states. That was the most important thing. And, of course, uh, when you point out that Jefferson thought that, you know, when you, well, what does he mean by all men are created equal? Well, I mean, this goes back to the English conception of the of the 
position, which was equal under the law if they were citizens. And that was the point, right? So when he says all men are created equal, they're equal under the law. They're not, we're not subject to uh, hereditary aristocracy. This is an important position uh, argument to make because it blows apart the proposition nation thesis. Okay, And of course, later on, even Jeffersonians backtracked on it. You know, John Taylor of Caroline was very, very famously said, yeah, I mean, we kind of you know, got on board with this position for you know, about a decade or so, and then we all realized this is crazy because what we're doing, people are taking it in a different direction, and what's happening now is that this has created an entire social movement that we didn't intend it to do. Okay, So uh, when you say things like equal under the law, and of course John Locke, um, would uh, generally believe the same position. I mean, this is the English Bill of Rights. And even going back to the Magna Charta, you know, all of the free subjects are equal under the king is not above the law. Everyone's equal under the law. This is what was intended by that phrase. That's it. But of course, when you say it, you can say, well, wait a second. You know, this is not what I mean. They, they could mean it in other ways. And of course, people ran with that. So then you had this debate about what actually was what Jefferson did mean by that, even into the 1850s. So Nicole Hannah-Jones, if you take her at her word, is, is espousing the proposition nation thesis, and she's saying that white Americans essentially have betrayed that for a couple of centuries. And the war was not fought to end slavery. Now, she says this in a recent tweet, and I hate to talk about tweets, okay, because tweets are silly most of them are just garbage, and that's what I do on, on Twitter. I just poke fun at things. Uh, making serious intellectual arguments on Twitter is something that I never really do. Um, every now and then, I'll put something up there that's serious. Most of the time, it's just for fun to poke fun at the left or the neoconservatives. But uh, just a couple of days ago, May 24th, uh, a, um, a piece at the American Wire, I guess this was as I'm recording this, yeah, it was a couple of days ago. Peace at the American Wire. 1619 Project founder Nicole Hannah-Jones insists North did not fight war, civil war to end slavery. Well, this would not have been controversial for decades. In fact, it wouldn't have been controversial even at the time the war was going on. But now, this is a quote-unquote conservative website. Well, now these people are upset about this. So this is what I find fascinating about Nicole Hannah-Jones. And this is what, of course is irritating about the neocons and the Straussians. They live in this world of the righteous cause myth. They live in this world of um, getting very upset when anyone punches holes in their self-righteousness. Because you see, if there's a good guys of the North and the bad guys of the South, and you, and you criticize the good guys, which are their guys, well, then that makes them look like they're just a bunch of worthless people. So they can't do that. They can't have their guys torn down. There has to be a clear good guys and bad guys. This is the entire Straussian position. This is Michael Anton. This is uh, Harry Jaffa. These people have to have good guys and bad guys. And you don't have the good guys and the bad guys. Well, then it blows up their narrative of American history. So Nicole Hannah-Jones makes them uncomfortable. She punches holes in the, in the righteous cause myth. She says it's, it's just a, a myth. I mean, it is. So let me read this piece, and I'll read the tweet that got people pretty upset. And I'll explain some of these things. But this is where Nicole Hannah-Jones is actually correct. And I've said she is. If you believe the proposition nation, Nicole Hannah-Jones, 
is right to an extent. Okay. So the piece says, Nicole Hannah-Jones, founder of the historically inaccurate 1619 Project that disputes the fact that America was founded in 1776, is not quite finished, with distorting the past to serve a radical left view that reflects abject contempt for the United States. Now, look at what's in that, in that first paragraph. Yes, the project is historically inaccurate in some areas. Um, and she is trying to do something to change the, the way we view America. But I would, I would dare say that a lot of people that critique the 1619 Project haven't really read much of it. I mean, I, I would say that. And I, I say this because I know that's a fact. And I know, for example, they don't read much of it because they don't read much of anything. For example, they denigrate John C. Calhoun without actually reading much of what John C. Calhoun said on things. This is the, this is the case with so many things in, uh, in the historical profession, in the journalistic world. They don't actually read this stuff. Then again, when a gifted Pulitzer Prize, uh, when gifted a Pulitzer Prize for serving up racially motivated indoctrination designed to divide and destroy, the motivation is high to stay on course. The end goal continues to be reparations, it would seem, but a messy obstacle here is the white descendants of those who fought for the Union in the Civil War. Why should they have to pay for the sins of the past with their tax dollars? Now look at what, uh, this is Tom Tillerson, he's writing this. So these Union veterans are the obstacles to reparations. Why should they have to pay? You know who should have to pay this, in other words? Southerners. Southerners should be the only ones to have to pay for reparations, because and descendants of Southerners, because they're the ones that were sinful in the past. Now, what the 1619 Project has done, and what some other things have recently have done, is show that slavery was a national situation. I mean, Nicole Hannah-Jones is not incorrect to say that slavery was something that was ingrained in America, at least in the 17th and 18th centuries. In fact, every state in the Union, the, what became the Union in 1776, uh, had slavery. There wasn't one that didn't. Every single state. And the North, New England, was just as complicit in the institution as the South. In fact, you could say they were doing the worst work because they were <laughs> heavily involved in the international slave trade. So, there's nothing that uh, is controversial about this. People are recognize this for you. I think what's happening is some Northerners are finally waking up and, oh, well, I guess we can't just blame everything on the South. Uh, this is where I, you know, I talked about the Harvard uh, University uh, reckon, uh, reckoning with slavery. We can't just blame it all on the South anymore. We have to take, uh, we have to take uh, ownership of some of this. So you have this reckoning that's going on in the North. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating, you know, Don Livingston at the Institute has produced a couple of interesting lectures on this that have been widely viewed on YouTube. One is the real reason the South seceded. The other, uh, he gets into this uh, national enormity of slavery in the 17th, 18th centuries, even in the 19th century, and how uh, this was an institution that was union-wide. Uh, in fact, slavery existed in a northern state until 1865. That would be New Jersey. So, until December of 1865, by the way, long after the war was over. So when Nicole Hannah-Jones says, you know, this is part of the American fabric, uh, this institution of slavery, she's not wrong. But you have people like Tillerson who get very upset about that. Oh, no, you can't say that. You can't because we had Union soldiers fighting to end the institution. Union soldiers were fighting to end. All Union soldiers were doing the work of ending slavery. The war was fought to end slavery. And he says it. This is what he believes. So then he goes on. 
He says, well, it seems Nicole Hannah-Jones has a ready solution to this conundrum. According to New York Times Magazine racial injustice reporter, the North did not fight the Civil War to end slavery. Again, this would be an uncontroversial statement for most of the history in the post-bellum period. Most of the historical profession in the, mo- in the post-bellum period would have agreed with this statement. Some wouldn't have, but they were the neo-abolitionists who have been uh, shown to be incorrect. Okay, James McPherson, who is a sort of new abolitionist, would actually agree with this statement. I mean, he wrote a whole book about it, For Cause and Comrades, where he said, yeah, you know, the North, North, most Northern soldiers were not fighting the war to end slavery. Now, he said there was a turning point in the war. After the Emancipation Proclamation, a lot of Northern soldiers did get on board with the idea of ending slavery. Uh, but there was also mass desertions in the Union Army at that point. People were like, I'm not fighting the war to end slavery. I'm not doing that. I joined to fight to save the Union, not to end slavery, and I don't care. And even Lincoln himself proposed in January of 1865 to extend the end date of slavery, maybe into the 1890s. Or, he said, you could join the Union and vote down the 13th Amendment. You could keep slavery. The issue was always the territories. Now, Lincoln knew, and many people did too, that if you bottle up slavery in the South, eventually it'll go away. Uh, And I think technology and other things would have led to the destruction of slavery overall. But it would have taken time. He wasn't interested in ending it in 1865 if he could get the South back in the Union in some way without having to completely terminate the war the way that it did. But Tillerson calls this a remarkable comment. The remarkable comment that sullies the deaths of 360,222 Union soldiers. Well... Many of those soldiers would have agreed with her position. Was part of a Twitter thread that began with Hannah Jones sharing a passage from the 1619 Project that denigrates white Americans. Now let me read that line because this gets back to the proposition nation. She says, black people pose a danger to the country's idea of itself. Now look at what she says there. The idea. The idea of America. This is what Joe Biden has gone on TV saying. This is what the Straussians and the neocons are saying. Black people represented a threat to that. If you believe in the proposition nation, then this is true, right? I mean, if the, if you believe in the, in the definition of equality that she's posi- uh, positioning herself to believe, and of course that the abolitionists would believe, and if you are going to be a proposition nation acolyte, and you're going to say that Lincoln is one of yours, and that you're going to love John Brown, and that you're going to love, then you have to actually agree with her here. You have to. There's, there's no way around it. They held up a mirror into which the nation preferred not to peer. So the inhumanity visited on black people by every generation of white America justified the inhumanity of the, pres- of the past and the inequality of the present. Again, if you're going to believe in the proposition nation, this statement has to be true. It has to be true. But you see, to Tom Tillerson and other neocons and Straussians and left libertarians and others, and leftists, too. I mean, some leftists would, would bristle at this. Some. But this would be a problem for them. This is why I find it so fascinating. She makes people uncomfortable because of statements like this. Now, if you, if you um, look at the Declaration properly, then you would just say, well, this is bunk because this is not what it actually did. And uh, this is not what the phrase, all men are created equal, was about. Well, then, it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable about this because you know this is a distortion of the entire founding of America. Okay. 
uh, you know, Barry Shane's book on the Declaration blasts apart the proposition nation myth. I mean, it just completely tears it down through documentary evidence. This is not what they said when they wrote it. So then he continues, when a social media post uh, user pointed out that the country fought its bloodiest war to free blacks from enslavement, Hannah Jones begged to differ. The Fighting Fitzman says, quote, blacks were the only group this country fought its bloodiest war to free from enslavement against its own economic interests and primarily for moral reasons. A singular event in the history of the world. The West's involvement in slavery was not unique, ending it was. Now, what I find interesting about that, of course, um, in that statement, there was a moral reason to end slavery. Uh, there's a lot of questions about that. How moral? How, how many people were actually tied up in a moral crusade to end slavery is a big question. There were certainly some. I mean, you can go and read letters and people talked about it, but most were not. And I think most Americans were not morally concerned about slavery, either pro or con. They didn't like slavery. Uh, they just didn't want it around. I mean, can you say the Illinois soldier that uh, hated black people was fighting a moral crusade to end slavery? I can't. I mean, this is Leon Litvak and uh, Bernwanger. These, these are people saying that, you know, these these uh, West Midwesterners were not, you can't say any of them were really fighting a war to end slavery. Uh, I mean, particularly not in 1861. They were fighting it for three hots and a cot. A paycheck. This is this is William Marvel and Lincoln's mercenaries. There's so many other things going on here, and so Nicole Hannah Jones' response to this is one: the North did not fight the war to end slavery. True. Two: love how you erase Haiti, which um, this is also. You look at Haiti. Well, that was a major revolution, which was uh, an anti-slavery revolution, which did overthrow the slaveholding government. And establish another slaveholding government, by the way, because slavery still exists in Haiti today. But regardless, it was a slave insurrection that feared Santo Domingo. It, it caused a lot of fear in places around the Americas because, well, if you're going to have this nasty, bloody uprising in Haiti, what's to say it can't happen here? But it was, uh, it was more of a of an insurrection rather than a war, so to speak. But regardless, she is fairly correct about Haiti preceding the situation in the United States where you had a war to supposedly end slavery. And then three, every other country ended slavery without needing to fight a war. And we were third to last in our hemisphere to abolish slavery. Next. So one poster says that she contradicts herself here. And in some ways she does, right? If the war wasn't end slavery, but then there was a war to end slavery, well, then which one really is the situation? Now, you can say that ultimately... The war ended slavery. But were they fighting a war to end slavery? Was the goal of the war to end slavery? No. The goal of the war was to save the Union. The byproduct of that was the end of slavery. Lincoln used it as a war measure. This is the standard historical interpretation. Now, I know people like James Oakes and all of his acolytes run around getting very upset about this. But Daniel Crofts, I think, has, has conclusively shown that the, thir the original 13th Amendment would have made slavery permanent, and Lincoln's fingerprints were all over that. He wanted to save the Union. Why? Well, he's interested in several things, but he said it in his inaugural address, what about my tariffs? You know, I mean, this, we have to enforce the laws for my tariffs, right? So um, this, is, this is important to understand. So the war did end slavery, ultimately, but those 360,000 dead Union soldiers 
most of whom weren't fighting the war for that reason. Some were, most were not. And in fact, and she'll say something else which I disagree with in a minute, but regardless, this is what she said. And she is correct about the fact that um, there were, you know, the United States was dragging, was, was lagging behind in ending slavery. This is true. Uh, so, and Lincoln would, would have allowed it to be permanent. It wouldn't have ended slavery in 1865. So then uh, he, the piece Tillerson continues, when caught off for trying to have it both ways, she doubled down on the claim to say that the North's lone goal was to preserve the Union. Michael Covey writes, you rewrite history to suit your beliefs. If the North didn't fight to end slavery, then obviously the South didn't fight to keep it. You can't have it both ways. By the way, Haiti had been a failed state for many decades. Three-fourths of the population live on less than $2 per day. Has been a failed state. Well, I mean, this is, this is true, but she, Covey's pointing out, well... If the North didn't fight to end slavery, then the South didn't fight to to keep slavery. Well, in fact, Covey has stumbled on the light. I mean, he has he has stumbled on the truth, but he doesn't even know it. I mean, this is the funny thing about all this. People are so wrapped up in this righteous cause myth that when they actually say something that's true, they think it's just myth. They think that that's that's not true. It is true. Michael Covey actually was correct. If the North didn't fight to end slavery, then the South didn't fight to keep it. Both true statements. So Hannah Jones responds, how silly. The South fought to preserve slavery, the North fought to preserve the Union. Basic history. Now, the South didn't fight to preserve slavery. In fact, most Southerners didn't fight for that at all. And this is another thing that James McPherson has pointed out. They fought against slavery, their own enslavement, what they thought to a central authority they didn't like. So that's the issue here. But Covey has stumbled on something remarkable. He stumbled on the truth in this process. And then, of course, Tillerson says she tripled down. Another poster, the Civil War era Battle Hymn of the Republic contained this line, as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. Pretty clear contemporary evidence of what Yankees were fighting for. So see, this is again the righteous cause myth. So you go back to the song. and then <laughs> I love this response from Nicole Hannah-Jones, in fact. She says, so a simple song, a single song is evidence for you? There's plenty of actual evidence, including Lincoln's own words, his writings, the response of many white people to the war. But sure, the battle hymn. That's, that response is actually true. right? So she's, she's stating a fact here. This is actually true. So Hannah Jones is doing something here and making people uncomfortable about the war because they don't like to hear what is accurate in this particular situation. And then she says, here's a quick, or he says, here's a quick sampling responses to the story from Twitter, Phil Magnus, who actually like his book on Lincoln, but he does say this. Just going to point out that N.H. Jones' tweet is indistinguishable from a neo-Confederate talking point from about 20 years ago. Well, it's not neo-Confederate. This is what people were saying even at the time. Uh, so, I mean, Magnus gets a little bit off on some things here and there. Um, people saying that's your opinion, but it isn't historical fact. All of this, right? And so I wanted to point this out because, again, this gets to that two sides of the same coin, the proposition nation myth, Nicole Hannah-Jones advocating that position, and, of course, the response to it, which I find to be absolutely fascinating. People can't, she makes people very uncomfortable if your righteous cause myth or because it doesn't fit to your worldview and your cartoonish view of what the war was about or um, what the proposition nation meant. Okay. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you next week. See you then.